Welcome, welcome, welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman. I hope you're in the right place. If you're not, hang out. You never know. You might find out something interesting. We don't care. It'd be great to have you. You know, I like to start each show off with a story from the week that kind of got my attention. And I want to bring to you guys. And of course, as we often see the New York Times, two competing stories with two different storylines came out from the same paper, which to be honest, is one of the things I love about the New York Times. <laughs> you know, you're going to get what you get. And what it's about is they, uh, two different articles came out analyzing youth voting patterns and voting patterns in general from an organization called Catalyst. And Catalyst is a group that analyzes post-election results in detail, um, not just the old, uh, you know, exit polls and stuff like that. They actually go after the numbers and go in great depth. And they've come out with their 2022 analysis and it's really interesting. And, and what the, the first story in the New York Times talked about was there's been a shift in older millennials shifting rightward. That, that when you look at this chart that they showed in, the, in, their, in their story, that more millennials are, and, and older Americans are moving just to the right just to the right. But here's the thing. And I think people freaked out like they always do. It's, it goes right to that old canard of the Republicans that when you buy a house, you become conservative, right? But what was really interesting to me is a second story came out from David Leonhardt that dives deeper into the actual voting by actual age group and political leanings. And there's a first chart. We'll throw that first chart up on screen if you're watching. If you're listening, I'll explain it. And they go by votes by age in the midterms election elections in highly contested states. And it shows consistent upturn in voting across all age groups until you get to above 40, <laughs> right? And and what it shows is a dramatic drop off in older voters that traditionally vote Republican as the boomers age and they pass away. And that drop off is frankly countering any increase in conservative leanings from younger generations. But wait, there's more. A second chart shows, we'll put that up, shows that in 2022 midterms, voters aged 18 to 29 voted 64% Democratic and those aged 30 to 44 voted 58% Democratic. And then it shifts to Republican for those over the age of 45. And taken together, this shows that political shifts are beaten are being beaten by demographic shifts faster. In other words, while some millennials and others are turning more rightward, the number, the base of the Republican voting base, the older generation, the boomers, are dropping off the voting base, be it from old age or inability to vote. But so consistently, you've got you've got two things at, at work here. You've got the demographics and you've got a younger generation, which is very, very active and clearly running much more liberal than their predecessors at a 64 percent vote. So it's really interesting. It's a, there's optimism there, but caution, because the caution part of this whole conversation before we get on the show is they also did find that working class Americans are shifting to the Republican Party. What had been a traditional base of the, the Democratic Party is as a class shifting rightward. So can they beat the demographic shift? Will they? Will that overturn it? What can the Democrats do about that? Lots to talk about that in other places, but I just want to start with that. So it's it's kind of interesting. I love good stats and I love to start that way off. So let's just get right in this show. I got great guests I've been eager to have back on. So with that, let's get on with the show. All right, man, welcome back. Welcome to the show. On to Mox FP Woman right here on the Midas Touch Network or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We're everywhere, man. We're doing great. Thanks to all of you joining our community. I can't thank you enough for being part of it. So our guest this week was our very first guest on on Democracy <laughs> a year over a year ago uh, when it was on call an app which is a train wreck and 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 God bless her she put up with that <laughs> and and still joined the show I think we had like 15 listeners it was incredible <laughs> actually we had more than that because everyone's here Rachel so our guest is my friend and I too my dear friend Rachel Rachel Vinman Rachel's a wife mom podcast host writer activist co-host of the Suburban Women podcast excuse me Suburban Women Problem podcast and an advisory board member the, for the Renewed Democracy Initiative you know, if you, you do know Rachel, after her husband, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman, was involved in the, the first impeachment hearing of Donald Trump, she realized she needed to be more politically active. So one of her favorite ways to do that is to help other women find their way to activism. She's found her voice as an activist and, frankly, plain-spoken political commentator on Twitter. And you can follow her there at NatSec Hobby. Says, oh, my God, I'm so glad to have you back on the show, Rachel. <laughs> Great to see you. 
There you go. How Thank are you? You. <laughs> you did it. I don't even remember how to use Zoom. I mean, you know how long we've been using Zoom for three years now. And I still struggle. But it's OK. Thank you so much for having me back. It is my pleasure. I've been yeah. looking forward to this. Yeah, here in our fancy new studio, we're big time. Yes, I, I know. know. No phone apps for us, I tell you. So it's uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you. Welcome to Maya's Touch Network. Great to have you on the network. Always glad to see a fellow uh, podcast host who's been banging it for two years now and doing great. We really appreciate you. You know, I, I did a video. Let's jump right in. I, I did a video this week um, for the Maya's Touch Network about the Washington Post examination of the book removal requests uh, mm-hmm. for the year up to 2022. And they found that a small but highly energetic minority has been driving much of this. And of course, Moms for Liberty is driving that. And what's mm-hmm. really interesting, I don't know if you saw the news, but this week, the Southern Poverty Law Center, for the first time, yes. Desi- yes, right? designated, yeah. Yeah, designated Moms for Liberty as an anti-government extremist group, along with 11 mm-hmm. other of these parents' rights group. And within that, you know, these guys are driving a lot of this. It's, it's a coordinating mm-hmm. an ongoing assault on our kids. I mean, what kind of impact are you saying? You've been, you've been really, in, 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 you know, diving into the family issues, the parenting issues. I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse. What does that tell you that they're now an extremist group? I mean, is that probably not a surprise to you, right? It doesn't surprise me. And they probably enjoyed being labeled an extremist ah. group if, if we're being honest yeah. with ourselves. I yeah. mean, that's probably a feather in their cap. Yeah. But I think it's an apt description. I, you know, these are extremist groups. They are anti-public school. They are anti-government. They, it's remarkable to me, uh, you know, you and I have discussed this before, that somehow the party of small government and personal responsibility is all up in our business about what we yeah. can and can't do. Yeah. And um, there's no personal responsibility. I mean, they're going to tell you what your personal responsibility is and what you need to do. And it's um, kind of quasi religious in that way. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, they, they don't trust anyone to make their own decisions. And that includes what books your children read apparently. Right. And it just couldn't be further from what the Republican party purports to be. Right. Um, and, and I think it's really important to draw that out, to show that as a mirror to those people who were, who just, are so intent on, but we need a second party. We need someone else. And we can't just, you know, all the, all the stupid arguments. Okay. Right. But could you pick maybe some normal people with normal beliefs if that's <laughs> what you insist upon? Well, that's it. Right. I mean, we, we, a lot of folks, we do see them and you're a former Republican like me. Um, we were both just voters. We weren't political activists until the last right. you know, three or four, thanks to Donald Trump. Uh, I think you and I share that background, but you're right. We do hear, I mean, we both run in the same similar circles of a lot of former Republicans mm-hmm. who many aren't terribly That gets former. us in trouble. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know I what you're mean, talking about. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, that's whatever. exactly it. It does because you know we're not trusted by anybody. Obviously, I'm I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. But but it is interesting to have these conversations. But I'm consistently shocked by how many still believe there's a Republican Party to save. Right? I mean, I, I think I think I think actually um, I think Bill Crystal tweeted out an article today about how just how deep it is. I think even he's come to the realization there's just not much to save. Um, no. And you live you live and breathe that on a daily basis. I think um, is there anything to save? And 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 is there even a, is it shocking to you? There's still people who think they can. It is shocking to me. Um, so my husband was born in the former Soviet Union. His father was a member of the Communist Party. And he sees the insidious, I mean, sorry, he sees the danger of that, of a one party system. Mm-hmm. And, and so I mean, not everyone is a former communist. So um, that's not everyone but i think this this alarm of like we can't be one party we have to have two parties okay but could you have a second party again of normal people and that's just not what exists right now so i i laugh when people say that i want to return to the republican party i mean it is it basically is non-existent in my view there is no um in my lifetime, there will not be a functional Republican Party. And it's way too early to even think about whatever the replacement might be. And, you know, I mean, anyone who's a student of history knows that we've had different parties that have risen and fallen. I mean, we've had this two party system for a very long time, but that hasn't always been the case in the history of the United States. So it's conceivable that something could emerge, uh, but that's not going to be for any. I. 
I I don't foresee it in my lifetime. I mean, yeah. I suppose anything is possible, but it's going to be a long time. And for now, let me just publicly state, I am a very loyal member of the Democrat Party, <laughs> and I will do whatever I can to make sure the Democrats are elected. But we have a lot of people in this party, in this big tent, and there are a lot of differing views, and that's okay. We need to talk about them. That's one of the things we do on my podcast. You know, we have lots of different we women from our network give us all kinds of topics and things they want to talk about and we talk about them and we try to demystify so many of these things um because we're just bombarded with misinformation and that's what moms for liberty you mentioned and that's what they do what's what the 11 other groups do they're intent on giving you 20 percent of the story making it sensational and just causing outrage um and unfortunately in this era post-covid when people are our children are still struggling i have a 12 year old we still have academic effects of learning during covid but i mean there are also side effects of chemotherapy um you know we did the best that we could but we need to look at it and say yeah, we've got to deal with these problems now, but hey, we're alive and um, we got through the pandemic, but now we have to address this. But unfortunately, that situation is just really ripe and for misinformation to breed. And I think what you see are opportunists who are co-opted this situation and are trying to use it for their own uh, political and personal gain. And it's really just all about power. Yeah, I think in the end, that's that's really accurate. It does become powered both locally. I think what's really insidious is about these groups, these these twelve that have been designated, especially in Moms for Liberty, is the way they are um, very vocal at the local level. I mean, these are the people who mm-hmm. were showing me at the school board meetings. There's been a number of articles yeah. this week about how you know you get screamed at at meetings, and now they've coalesced into this movement of book banning and and running school board candidates. And you're seeing a backlash. I think there's been a couple of articles. Yeah. Like Greg Sargent wrote a piece a couple weeks ago about how. People are standing up and saying, you know, enough's enough. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. is, it is. I mean, we saw it right here, even in St. Louis, where I live, which is pretty red. Uh, the Missouri, of course, Missouri is very red. Um, they were able to defeat a number of these Moms for Liberty endorsed yeah. candidates. They're very they're very helpful. They actually list them for you so you can grab them. <laughs> you know who you're up against. Um, and it's, and you're right. I think go back to what you said was really key, though. And it goes back to a topic I wanted to I have in my script to talk about later, which is this vicious hatred that we see we face uh, anytime you stand up to these folks. And, and one of them, I, I just saw it recently, um, you know, Nikki Haley. Um, Nikki yeah. Haley tried to say that girls are under assault because... Um, they're going to, they have to deal with the idea of men being in the locker room them because they want to play sports and that's going to lead, that's leading to girls wanting to commit suicide. She actually mm-hmm. used the, the, the rising teen suicide rate and blaming transgender youth for it. Right. And I'll tell you what's, what's interesting to me is the interactions you get as public figures is I, I tweeted about that and how ridiculous it was that no, the kids are committing suicide for a host of reasons, obviously, but not the least of which is gun deaths, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. violence mm-hmm. and, and, and inequality and everything else. And the, what was interesting to me is I look at the replies is, oh, so you're okay with men being in a girl's bathroom. Are you a groomer? You're a, you know, it's like, holy shit. It's, it's, they're so brilliant at taking a message and, and, and making it insidious. Uh, so you, you, you've, it's, it's the old, right. When, when did you stop beating your wife? canard right <laughs> you know yeah, it's like wait yeah. a minute i didn't I, I never stopped wait a minute and 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 you've dealt with this obviously since day one since the day alex stepped forward um you, you've had to you've had to face some vicious hate from these people i mean so it's not a shock to you that they're an extremist group in your your opinion um you know and, and so uh, going circling over to the suburban women problem you know you guys launched your podcast not long before uh the virginia governor's race it was actually during mm-hmm. the heat of the campaign um one of the hot takes after that race was that suburban women uh had switched over and voted yeah catalyst by the way i was actually look at the results of that race and I was living in Virginia and I just left and um, Catalyst found that actually wasn't quite accurate right? <laughs> that the exit mm-hmm. polls had said that wasn't it was it was the fact I talked about last week's show with John Nichols from the nation that actually they just didn't run a campaign targeting youth they didn't run a campaign targeting rural voters but but there is it, it, it goes to what you guys are going for is so let's talk about in, in for you guys what is the suburban women problem and, and 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 what is the movement to address that issue for you Right. I want to say one thing about that campaign. Um, yesterday, I interviewed uh, Representative Alyssa Slotkin. Oh, yeah. 
right. and um, who was just amazing. And I, I like to talk to people who are really good at not second policy, but that can talk to me on my level because that's not uh, where I'm, I'm not my husband. So um, it was really <laughs> great. But one of the things, you know, she talked about, cause we talked about the wins and the victories in Michigan. And I was asking her how this happened. Everyone's wanting to know how you happened. And you know right. what she said? We had a plan. <laughs> we had a plan. And I think that's uh, probably what that, the, what you were just talking about, the catalyst um, piece is that in Virginia, in 2021, there really wasn't a plan, if we're being honest. Yeah, so let's be honest. I mean, and that's something yeah. we need to be honest about and we need to deal with. I mean, there were there were lots of factors, but that was definitely one of them. Yeah. So what is the suburban women problem? Well, for those of you who may not um, know, and, and maybe it's good if you don't, but right before the 2018 midterms and the um, Donald Trump's one term presidency, he uh, they knew they were going to get really you know, being badly. And Senator Lindsey Graham said, we have a suburban women problem. And to that, I say, I agree with you, Senator. Uh, it's <laughs> rare, but uh, you did and you do have a huge suburban women problem. You know, suburban women are really in this, like the last pure purple districts, you know, throughout our country, even in red states and blue states, a lot of suburbia is purple. Yep. Right where I live. And, yeah, and we're like under assault because of that. It's just constant with us. I mean, you know, people are trying to target, but that trying to target our, you know, covet our votes and get our votes. But in that, you know, you have a lot of extremist groups making a move, making a play. So there's been this this whole movement. I know me as a military spouse, but just also as a mom, I mean, I didn't talk about politics a lot. And then it's kind of a use it or lose it thing. I mean, you feel a little bit of an imposter. For instance, I lived in DC where, I mean, the person next to you might be like, I, I don't know. I, who, I can't give an example, but um, yeah. one time I was in a synagogue meeting and we were talking about uh, doing something with a cost of living index and people were like, what is that? And then one of the members, like it was Zoom meeting gets on. I was like, oh, actually I'm like head of, um, you know, comms at the treasury department or whatever yeah. commerce, whoever <laughs> like sets that. And you're like, only in DC does that happen. Right. But that's how it is in DC. You're yeah. like in a meeting and you don't even know what the PTA you're like sitting next to someone who just made this policy or wrote this bill. Yep. So it, it, it really be intimidating when you're just trying to discuss like basic things. So I think what it's not just in DC, it's everywhere. We just kind of retreat to what's most comfortable to us is what's the stuff we're doing every day. Right. But because so many people have done that and not just women, but we've lost like kind of the, the skill and the ability to talk about these things and um, to talk critical things that the extremism and we're like, Oh, maybe it'll just go away, you know, or that's unpleasant. I, I've met so many women who live in places where they're like, let's just not put up signs for school board. Cause it's just going to cause problems. And actually I didn't meet those women. I met like their neighbors who said that, like, we just don't want to get involved and they just want it to go over and go, go away. But as we can see, that's not happening and it's not going to happen until we stand up and we take it back and we say, we have to have these conversations. We have to correct this disinformation. So that's kind of, you know, that's really what we try to do on our podcast yep. is to say, I mean, it, it's two parts, really. It's to, Today's episode that came out, I'm so proud of it because I did, we do like a main interview and I did, um, that was, we rotate who does that. And I did it with Sarah K. Ellis, who is the president and CEO of GLAAD. And it was just a really wonderful interview. Um, she was a pleasure. And then uh, we have an interview that all three of us do together. And we interviewed a mom and daughter, uh, Mindy and Lily. And Lily is 16 and a half year old transgender girl and living in Pennsylvania. And it was just, it was so great. I mean, yeah. you, because it, the fact of the matter is Nikki Haley can say what she wants about girls are afraid to play sports and everything. But I would say to Nikki Haley, can you, can you give me an example of when that happened, Nikki? I'm just right. curious. And um, I'll be respectful. Ambassador Haley, can you give me an example of when that happened? And I don't think she could. No. I mean, she might be able to give one, maybe two, yeah. but no more than that. 
It's been used as a fear tactic. And I think once you know this is happening, you can identify that. And when your friends bring it up, you can listen to podcasts like mine. You can, because it's very difficult to find some of these sources and you can say, that's not actually true right. And to your friend. And you can say it with confidence. You don't have to have an imposter syndrome. You can say, and you can say it gently and let them go, you know, research it on their own. But the important thing is that you push back. And I hope through our podcast and through Red, Wine and Blue, which is the um, the group that produces it, that we're giving people, we're having those conversations and giving people confidence to be able to bring up these issues. Because if we don't have conversations and we don't talk to people and we're not willing to dispel some of these, some of this disinformation and fight back, we are going to be victims of it in a major way, more than we are now. I think that's so key. And I, I love that you brought that up. It, it is true. We, 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 we've reached a point where we don't have these conversations anymore. We can't have mm-hmm. a, a level-headed conversation about the issues. And when they are brought up, I think a lot of us, especially uh, who have been pummeled by it, tend to just let it go, right? We're like, well, I don't want to argue with you. You're nuts. But you're right. If we yeah. don't have these conversations and if we're not armed with the information to have these conversations, we can't. And that's and it's it's the classic story, right, where we talk about here in Missouri, where there's more transgender sports uh, bills uh, offered this year than there's ever been a person, a, a kids participating in, uh, yeah. you know, sports, that the youth mm-hmm. sports, the, the transgender youth who want to participate. And no one ever wants to talk about the fact that the majority of those who are trying to play sports, majority of transgender youth who want to play sports are women <laughs> are they all right okay it's 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 women who are going to be in boys sports not right. the other way around mm-hmm. by far mm-hmm. an overwhelming majority are the opposite direction which yeah. they never mm-hmm. ever want to talk about they only want to talk about no. saving girls sports so it's just a big propaganda smokescreen and if you're and it's great it to hear your group and and you don't doesn't red wine blue have a new initiative i think you mentioned to me in our, in our pre-show that they're to have these conversations more directly or you've heard a lot of these yeah. conversations tell me about what you guys are doing now i mean it's a great organization i mean you guys have um, have been around for a while it's not new yeah, so um, it's uh, we have a new initiative called Freedom to Parent mm-hmm. Kids for the 21st Century. And it's, I know, Freedom to Parent is kind of what we call it. And I mean, you know, for the 21st century is maybe it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but <laughs> I love what it means because what we're saying is, yeah, you can like it or not, but this is what our kids are talking about. This is what they're being exposed to. Right. So if you don't talk about it and you don't prepare your children and you refuse to have these conversations with them, you are not preparing your children to live in the 21st century. So here's the deal. We're fighting all this stuff all the time. We are like treading water. We are in it, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. We're fighting a battle against the extremists. But we have to walk into gum at the same time. We still have to raise our children and prepare them to live in this world. We still have to, you know, as the Biden administration has done, we still have to make good climate change policy. We still have to rebuild our infrastructure, even though we're finding this other, all this other stuff. And it's, you know, but that's just the nature of it. Right. That's life. I mean, I think all of us are trying to work and deal with other things at the same time. So right. this is really nothing new. But we we have to hold our ground on both fronts. And I would say when it comes to raising our children, we have to go a little further. Um, We have to actually move the ball and make some progress. So, you know, Freedom to Parent is really talking about those issues. It is pushing back on the book bans. We have a mobile ban book library that goes around. We're going to have more of those. And like, let's let's read this book. Let's unpack it. Let's talk about it in an age appropriate way, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, as I mentioned, I have a 12 year old. She comes to me with a lot of stuff that I never would have come to my parents about because I'd never heard those terms. Yeah. But in that, you know, she's come to me with questions and I just honestly say, you know, Eleanor, I don't think this is something that you're really able to understand, but I'm going to explain it to you the best way I can right now. Right. I never asked these questions when you, I was your age because I never knew about these things. Yeah. But you are in this world, and I think it's good that we're talking about this now because I don't. This this means that children who are gay, children who are transgender, children who are being abused, all these things are talked about, and that gives them freedom. So it makes also the world a lot healthier place for right, them. Right. If that is uncomfortable, that leads to uncomfortable conversations for me. Okay, well, I live in a community and I want to be a good member of that community and I will accept a little discomfort if that means that other people feel accepted. And frankly, 
I think most people are like that mm-hmm. and are okay with that community idea. But you have a lot of people, again, who are just giving in to some people's worst nature and fighting against that. So, yeah, you know, freedom yeah. to parent is, is, is the, is the pushback against that. It is a saying we are a counter to the moms for Liberty nonsense. We are going to help you in an age appropriate, a manageable way, how we can be accepting and raise our children to understand what's going on in the world, but it does not have to be a whole big thing. There's just a place between, you know, a ridiculousness that I think everyone would agree is not healthy. And then absolutely, we're not going to talk about this because we don't talk about these things in our house. I mean, there's a middle ground. Right. And there's conversations we have to have. And those conversations will fight because what we're fighting (laughs) is parents and and people and, and they're not going to be parents. And and circling back to that, that, that stat I mentioned at the beginning of the show about the Washington Post article, Mm -hmm. was really interesting in, in there. And they looked at like 1500 or over a thousand of these book ban requests from last year. And what they found in the, in the, in the forms that asked you to identify who you were, just 15% of the people um, requesting book bans of some sort identified as parents. In other mm-hmm. words, with all this talk yeah. of parental rights, with all this talk of control, what because it, 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 it's parents and parental rights, it's not actually parents doing this. It's not it's not parents with kids in the school system. It's outside mm-hmm. forces pushing against us as parents. Yes. In the end, the parental child ban is under assault by by not mm-hmm. by parents, right? It, 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 yeah. It's not the schools either, right? It is, uh, and, and arming the kids to fight that is so key, I think, and arming the parents even more so. And that is an important thing that's a stat that that you should share with your friend who is talking about that they don't think, let's say lawn boy, for instance, is um, an appropriate book for children to read. First of all, I would encourage anyone who is concerned about these books to see at their local school, what, you know, children can only check out books that are on their level, um, both their reading level and then, you know, whatever age, what's age appropriate. And I happen to have a really good friend whose son, and, and she's actually quite conservative, a fellow military spouse, and her son reads, I mean, when he was in second grade, he let a, he read on a high school level. And, but they said, no, I mean, yes, that's on his level academically, but he, he cannot check out that book because it's not developmentally appropriate for him. So he read like what is that book once an eagle oh yeah <laughs> i mean he, so he started reading like a lot of a lot of military yeah. nonfiction, and other things. his father is a military <laughs> officer yeah so he started reading a lot of a lot of nonfiction because that was like acceptable yeah but this is this is really an issue so i'm and that's another thing that i can it's just not said enough and is not understood enough and um the book bands i have a, a former friend Who's very active in Moms mm-hmm. for Liberty. Yep. She's a homeschooler. She was homeschooled. Her children are homeschooled. But Moms for Liberty, she will go to school board meetings and she will fight for book bans and promote book bans. But she has no children in public school. And I honestly, I think like, where do you find this time? Um, yeah. Why do you spend your time on this? This is like absolute anathema to me. Yeah. Um, but neither here nor there. It is very important to say to your friend who brings this up, like, yeah, you know, interesting statistic I read is that only 15% of people who are pushing for book bans actually have children in public schools. Yeah. What do you say to that? Yeah. Brenda? Uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh. Well, we're trying to save <laughs> the world. I think it's a great place to take a pause for our sponsors. We, uh, we have some great sponsors for the show, so we will take a break and come right back. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo or a wacky message board. No, we're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Now, not everything in a bad habit is bad. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of an electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. And instead of chemicals, Fume uses all-natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your Fume comes in an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing anxiety while breaking your bad habit. The first time I used Fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. 
It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up and I feel pretty darn cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and honestly, even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. So join Fume, accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Now, head to tryfume.com and use code FRED to save 10% when you get the Journey Pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code FRED to save an additional 10% off your order today. And we're back. Um, it's a great place to pivot to to another aspect of your life that you've had to deal with for the last few years, and that, of course, is Donald J. Trump. Um, I think few people have been more enveloped and had their lives more upended by this situation than you guys have. You and Alex, of course, are dear friends, and I've known you for a while. We've had a chance to talk to you a lot. Um, you know, we, we just got word this week that uh, the Mar-a-Lago documents fiasco may be coming to a head. Jack Smith mm-hmm. has not one but two uh, grand jurors, apparently, uh, and Mark Meadows, actually one of the main characters in this whole show. And the main characters in your show uh, has true, testified. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a simple question. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, joking aside, do you find hope at some point? I mean, you, your your family has mm-hmm. been pummeled. Um, for those who don't know, Mark Meadows was one of the people who led the charge against Alex to have Alex um, essentially punished uh, for doing his duty. Um, I don't know if you want to touch that, but I mean, how are you? How, I <laughs> he mean, was encouraging must, an, yeah. an investigation that yeah. Alex didn't know about, but there were like several investigations into him. They all led to nothing because there was nothing to find. I mean, they could have called me. I could tell you horrible things about him. Not really horrible, but um, all the <laughs> dirt, which is too. not really that exciting. Um, but it didn't reach the level of him not being promoted to Colonel. And Mark Meadows did lead that charge when he was chief of staff for Donald Trump. You know, um, he, I'm sure, received a pardon of some sort for something. I yeah. mean, only Mark Meadows knows for sure. But uh, the, I hope it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I hope that all of this leads to some kind of accountability. We had someone doing something we recently moved, and um, we had someone doing something in our house, and uh, Alex found out that this person um, was a big Trump fan, so they had a you know a great discussion. He's actually not even a U.S. citizen um, here legally. Here legally, wow. just want to point that out. But um, he, you know, had a, a a nice conversation with the guy and, and very respectful. But the yeah, Alex said something like, you know, Trump is not above the law, and the guy said, you're right, he's not above the law, and. This is really a fundamental premise of democracy. And that that's why I hope there is some accountability. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And I've kind of resigned myself that even if it doesn't, you know, we just have to do whatever we can. Um, but it sure would be nice, Fred. Yeah. I mean, you've had a long road. I mean, it, it turned you turned your life into turmoil. Um, you guys have been mm-hmm. has been strong throughout. It's it's an inspiration to so many people that know you and, and just follow you. I I constantly get messages every time I mention you. People say how much they um, find you and your husband is inspirational, and you've earned it. Um, I also laugh Thank because you. you uh, I also laugh because you moved to Florida. What the hell, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> you I was know, so desperate to leave Virginia and the DC area that I was like, whatever. You moved to Florida. Lawn doesn't scare me. Right. Alligators, hurricanes, whatever. Whatever. So you're in De- um, you're in DeSantis land, and you know I was. I, I am. You know, yes. And- uh, so we had we had good friends here. That, that I must say, like Alex's best friend from his time in the army. Yep. Moved here when he. Um, didn't fully retire, but when he got, when he, after he served his five years after West Point. So, yep. and we've always come here. Their friends have gotten to be our friends. Our daughter goes to camp where their children went to camp and we've, you know, slowly just kind of built a community here without living here. Yeah. And then for a variety of reasons, um, it, it just sort of worked best for us. And I, to be really honest for my mental health, I could not stay in Northern Virginia and the DC area anymore. And um, so things moved a little faster than we thought, which was just 
fortuitous. Um, and we were able to make it happen. So we moved um, earlier this year. And I live in St. But, Louis. I, I get it. I left I left the same place, right? We, we came yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring mm-hmm. it up because, you know, De- De- DeSantis, of course, is running for president. You've got a front row seat to a lot of his policies. Um, I, I got a lengthy little... So an interesting story. I did a, a video this week for Midas Touch uh, about a recent Yahoo News YouGov poll on DeSantis' launch. Yes. And they did an interesting exercise in the poll of likely voters where they asked about the popularity of a string of policies that DeSantis has implemented, which I'm sure you're infamous, but I'll read this part because I found it fascinating. To gauge whether DeSantis' agenda is helping or hurting his electability, Yahoo News and YouGov then pointed out that all eight of the, uh, the policy proposals that we just read you from the previous question have been put forward or signed into law by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And they repeated the question, they repeated the question from earlier in the poll, asking respondents to describe their chances of voting for him next November. So they read his policies and they said, hey, would you vote for him? Notably, the number of independents who said now said they would definitely not vote for DeSantis rose a full 4% from 34 to 38. And the share of potential Republican primary voters, this is really, who said they definitely would vote for DeSantis, dropped by 6 from 55 to 47. In other words, when they found out what policies he's implemented as governor of Florida, mm-hmm. his both independents and even Republicans their opinions dropped off, and that includes the more guns, includes the abortion bans, and his latest one, of course, a huge impact. I, I think you and I talked about it before the show. Um, is the the law criminalizing the transport of undocumented people into Florida, requiring hospitals to ask about immigration status on intake forms, invalidating state driver's licenses or other forms of government issued to undocumented people, and preventing local governments from issuing any kind of ID cards. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a state that relies on, you just said you had an immigrant working in your house, and this yeah. is a state that relies on agriculture, immigrant. So mm-hmm. with you being there, and I mean, what are you hearing on the ground? I mean, is is that, it, it just sounds like when people find out who Ron DeSantis is, um, what a lot of people who live in Florida They know, don't like him. They don't like him, right? So this person is a green card holder and able to work, but yes, not, not a Ron DeSantis fan. And... Um, anecdotally, uh, you know, I haven't met a lot of people a, a lot of Trump people. I live in Broward County, which is oh, yeah. very blue. Yeah. More blue than where I lived in Virginia. Yeah. And um, they, lots of Trump fans uh, that I have met, uh, not learned a lot, but the Trump fans that I have met are not DeSantis fans. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's because the rivalry, they just don't see anything that he's done for Florida as being great mm. or being relevant to them. Mm-hmm. Um they would be more like Marco Rubio fans, mm. um, but just really more just kind of like, eh, right. Not really interested either way, but he does not do it for them. Right. And the policies that he has put forth are not great. Right. Getting back to the uh, moms for Liberty, freedom to parent. Um, the, the Greg Sargent wrote a great article and it was about, and I'm not going to get it right. Uh, it's, Starts with an age, but I can't remember Hamilton, the name of the county. Hamilton, Hamilton County, one of those. Yep. It's like, yeah, it's, yep. I, I can't. But uh, the there, um, it was. See, this is what happens with the extremism: is you can get people like you tell them a little bit about it, and they might vote for you. And then whenever like the policies that they want to implement get implemented, they're like, "Wait, that's not what we wanted. That's right. not what we were expecting." I mean, right. it's like a used car salesman, like. This is not the deal I thought I was getting. And that's what a lot of people have, the buyer's remorse, because what they got is not what they wanted. I mean, I think that's what happened with abortion. I mean, with the repeal of Roe is, wait a second, this this isn't what we wanted when we elected you. And this is not popular with 70% of the population in the United States. So um, I am loath to say that I will give them enough rope to hang themselves because the truth of the matter is, whether it's Roe or it's our children, it is people being used as pawns and people will be hurt. People will be damaged. And they're, and I just can't say that that makes it worth um, winning in the end. But I do think that's what's going to happen. I think that they are way over their skis and we are going to see a reckoning of sorts but in the meantime it is very painful and i think all of us we're that is the lived reality that we're all in at the moment um so desantis Again, this is very anecdotally, and I live in a blue area. But I asked, I asked for antidotes. Really that I asked for antidotes. <laughs> you know, that's what. Yeah. What I, I mean, asked I, for I, I just it's it's that 
the stuff with Disney. I mean, right. no one here hates Disney. People right. like Disney. I mean, this idea, I'm going to stick it to the man, but they're also not idiots. And they know, I mean, there's, there's very, like, there's a lot of news and a lot of polling about that that's raising taxes for people in, um, I think it's Orange County in yeah. the Orlando area. So this, no one really wins. I mean, do you think Disney is going to lose? No, the taxpayers are going to lose in that area. And ultimately, the Florida residents of Florida are going to lose. And these are just not popular. His his initiatives are not popular. The problem with Ron DeSantis is I think he is a true believer. Unlike Donald Trump, who's kind of like willing to do anything, the art of the deal is apparently just telling people whatever the hell they want to hear in order to gain favor. But Ron DeSantis actually believes the things, um, you know, he, I don't know if I can curse on here, but oh, yeah. he... Oh, he believes his own bullshit. Right. And he definitely, I think, believes a lot of these things and assumes that other people do as well. The good right. thing about him is he's just utterly charmless no matter what they do. And all the program upgrades they have uh, <laughs> still have not been enough to overcome his worst instincts. Well, that's it. I think there was a great antidote that was uh, put out the other day, I think a couple of days ago. Uh, I don't remember who highlighted it, but he was at an event uh, in Iowa with the governor. And she's like, oh, you know. Governor, there's a there's a World War II veteran in the back. He's like, oh, great. Thank you for your service. And kept walking like, hey, Governor. And somebody else like, hey, there's a World War II vet. He'd love to meet you. Well, hey, how you doing? And handing the guy's VIP pass, he signs it, gives it back. And the somebody goes, hey, sir, that World War II vet goes, yeah, I gave, I signed something for it. It's like, it's just, yeah. just utterly, you yeah. know, yeah. and retail politics does still matter. I mean, you can mm-hmm. get away with a lot. It's funny yeah. how I was coming, I was talking to somebody the other day and how, how many older Older folks, believe it or not, older people like our age up think you can just get away with just being an icon on social media. That's enough. And they they don't realize mm-hmm. how that is not enough. It is not enough just to be no, a, a talking point. You do actually have to engage human beings in politics. Well, that's what Donald Trump had, right? Because right. He, he people thought they knew him from The Apprentice. Thank you. So he didn't really have to do a lot of that work because right. people felt like they knew him. Right. And that's part of the phenomena. Right. But. DeSantis doesn't have that. And we were here over the holidays. We spent two weeks here. We were kind of looking at houses, but also we just spent like time with friends and just wanted to get away for warm weather. Yeah. And I remember watching the news um, and our daughter was just on like the local news and governor DeSantis was saying something that was good news. I can't remember what it was. It was something about like toll passes and, um, and it was good news, but you would have thought he was so mad. And our daughter was like, well, why does, is he saying something good or bad? And I was like, he's actually saying that they passed some legislation that was good legislation. But she was like, then why does he seem mad? And I was like, that's just because he has a really bad personality. But it's true. And he doesn't have that of like being able to engage with people. So he just always comes across as really gruff and pissed off. And maybe he is, but that is the retail politics thing that just is utterly not charming. And he doesn't have a persona to fall back on like Trump did. That's the thing. We all dismiss Trump as being a buffoon and a clown, you know, all those things. Plus he's losing his freaking mind. There's all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do have to go back to the fact that Donald Trump was a master marketer of Donald J. Trump. He's been, he's marketed one product for Mm -hmm. 70 years. It's Donald Mm -hmm. Trump and he's done well. I mean, for those of us who grew, I grew, you know, I went to West Point. So I dealt with him in the 80s when he was in New York. So we used to have to read the New York Times at West Point. It's a thing. I I don't know if they still do it or not. So I had, I was suffering through the early days that when, when he was quite the little New York icon and hated there, by the way. But the thing is, he's a master marketer, right? Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. it's funny to see the wannabes who think they could just take this piece of the puzzle and then, you know, and and, and in DeSantis' point, it's like, well, I mean, his talking point is, well, I'm I'm Trump without the baggage. Yeah, but you're also Trump without the charm. You're, yes. Trump, you're Trump without mm-hmm. the humor. You're Trump mm-hmm. without the yeah. market, right? It's like, and, it's and, true, and yeah. right, there's there's a whole thing. And and I think I'm, a, I'm an old PR guy in, in, in my previous life. And, there, and there's more to it than just the policies or the and mm-hmm. you know the, the the woke 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 thing is a perfect example and oh my god i just have to say it on this show uh, i couldn't i did i couldn't for some reason churchill's family uh has copyrighted his speeches so you can't use them unless you pay for them which sucks <laughs> and and that whole woke speech he did the other day we'll fight woke in the school we'll fight what was literally he, he used the, the great Never surrender yeah. speech of parliament. I mean, who thinks this is a good idea I mean, that that tight little circle is? But yeah, the, the lack of yeah. charm. I mean, I, 
I just, I don't know. I, I, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Obviously, Trump could, you know, you know, my friend, I think I mentioned the show last week, my friend Jeff Timmer said that so well, because the only thing that will stop Donald Trump is his aorta or a prison cell. <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy is not a healthy guy. Um, no, but yeah, no, you see I mean, it, and that that's the reality that I think we need to wrap our minds around. And it's, it's even hard for me. That's mm. why the CNN town hall was very emotional for me. I think anyone who follows me on Twitter could see that I was really upset about it. And yeah. that's why is like the danger you know, Ron DeSantis, I would be incredibly disappointed. I would be really, really upset if he were to win the presidency. If Trump wins the presidency, my family will have to leave as political prisoners. So mm-hmm. it is extremely, extremely personal. Um, and I think that we are dealing, like, we are still a little bit slow to think that, oh, well, maybe Chris Christie or maybe this or maybe that. But as it looks right now, um, Nothing is stopping him unless um, unless it's him, his, himself. He's yeah. the only person that can stop himself. Well, that's the, in that same YouGov poll, uh, they said that 30% of these Republican Republican primary voters would simply not vote for anyone else, period. Like, even mm-hmm. if even if Trump's not on the ballot, yeah. they won't. For, you know, so you've got mm-hmm. 30% cha- of, of what is now currently a Republican base who's basically said they're going to check out if it's not Donald J. Trump. So there's there's a certain fantasy going on that any of these guys can beat him in a fair fight. I, I love Chris Christie saying, well, on the best debate. I actually saw Sirius, and this is the part that you kind of get back to with the CNN thing, is Sirius, I'm doing air quotes for those listening, you know, Serious political commentators saying, yeah, but Chris Christie, he's strong in debates. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm a political operative. Debates don't change any. The, the idea <laughs> that anybody who calls a political professional would say, well, he could win in the debate. That's fucking a fantasy. Well, probably said that. Yeah. You know, it's a complete fucking fantasy to think that just because he's good in a debate a couple of times is going to actually win the election. It's not doesn't work that way. Um, there's just delusion. Definitely there's not delusion. today. Maybe. No. Yeah. Not today. This is not Nixon Kennedy. Okay? Right. Can right. Be, like, I mean, like, it's not your grandparents. Yeah political campaigns so that is silly and i mean fred honestly i think that's where we kind of make the mistake and, and you and i were discussing this about the chris Lick article of like uh we've got to live in the now i mean i think that was chris Lick's biggest problem at cnn is he wants to go back to something that doesn't exist anymore i mean frankly we have a whole lot of people that the normal republicans that we talked about that that want to go back to something that doesn't exist i know that's hard i don't like change um it's hard for me it's hard for most people for change but they're not accepting this moment where we are the reality of the time we're living in and it it leads to some really poor decision making Mm. And I think there are also people who support Trump and that's why they support him because they don't want to change. They don't want to be in a world where a person of color has the same opportunities that they have. Right. But they're they're really holding on and clinging to that. And that's just not the reality of where we are right now. So they're trying to legislate. They're trying to make policy um, to diminish those voices, that history, all those things is people trying to go back to a time, you know, that, that is not where we are now. They will ultimately fail. I truly believe all of these things will fail, but it is very painful in the process. Yeah, I, I saw a great analysis the other day and, and you know, God bless Twitter. I mean, it's a pain in the ass, but I see good stuff on there. And and somebody actually went into the whole, I, I'm sure you've seen it too, is where whenever we say we're a democracy, there's usually someone on the right that says, we're a constitutional republic. And I used oh to laugh God. it off. I mean, Boebert does it, right? And I laughed mm-hmm. it off. But this person did a great analysis and their, their point being is the reason the right has glommed onto that is because by going through a constitutional republic style, that the, the push for that is entrenching minority rule. In other words, and there was... The whole point of a you know the, the danger of an open democracy is that the majority will the majority will overcome the minority that minorities will never have a vote you know the the, the majority whoever that is will, will hold them accountable. The reason they're embracing that world now, the idea of minorities being able to rule, is because they're becoming the minority. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that we're one hundred percent. Right, we're going to be a majority and minority country in the next twenty years. In our lifetimes, probably Rachel, the, the the white race will be a minority race compared to other persons mm-hmm. of color. Um, and, you know, overall, and and so there's a lot of change going on. There's this desperate attempt to entrench. We're seeing it here in Missouri, where uh, the simple thing you're and you're seeing it everywhere. But here in Missouri, we see it, and Ohio, by the way, as we speak, where they try to change the. We have a proposition law where if you yeah, get enough signatures, yeah, you in know, Ohio, right? yeah, we talked right? about it on our podcast. Right. 
is it? Red, right. wine, and blue started in Ohio. Yeah. There you go. I was floored when I learned about that. Yeah. You can explain it. I mean, yeah. I think it's important oh, yeah, to explain. I, I, no, you're the guest. It's exactly, it's like the idea they're trying to change the constitution of their state to stop people from having the power to petition their government mm-hmm. and place ballot initiatives. Here in Missouri, we're trying to put abortion on the ballot and that's making it yeah. crazy. So the Republicans Sorry. desperately try to get rid of that whole process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Siri's really mad about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway, but you know, they're trying to change the process. They're, they're trying to entrench yeah. minority mm-hmm. rule. Um, I think it's interesting. You guys talked about in Ohio and it's huge in Ohio. It's coming up with August, right? Is that election, I think? or Yeah, so yeah, and they're trying to make it from 50% to 60 or right. more. I don't know, but um, they're trying to change, move the goalpost again because they don't want it to be the majority to rule. And you're right. I think that's a great analysis. Um, I don't often go to my husband for national security and geopolitical analysis, but um, I do find when I do, he's often right. And he is a political scientist. Yeah. And I was like, Alex, why do they keep saying this stuff about whatever? And he was like, well, cause they're stupid. And I was like, but also <laughs> is there another reason? And, and he's, I mean, you know, he explained it actually like you just did. Um, but, and it's, it's simply not true, but it is setting up a minority rule type normalizing that all the things. Right. He also told me, I'm just going to say whenever the drone hit the Kremlin, I was like, I really, a lot of people on Twitter are saying it was a false flag. And he was like, it's not a false flag. It's absolutely not a false flag. And we just, I was like, okay, you're really adamant about this. And I was like, why do you think that? It was because I know it's not. And as it turns out, I think he's actually was right. Mm. Um, But it wasn't the Twitter hot take. So be careful who you listen to on Twitter. They Uh, might not be the biggest expert. There's my PSA for the day. I appreciate that PSA. It's a good one, especially in in, in the world of Elon. (laughs) You should have Alex on your show. He's I had him. He was my first guest. He's my first studio guest. Sorry. He is an expert. he was my first yeah he was my first in studio guest my, 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 oh, okay. Matt okay. will I'm tell sorry. you yeah, he I was don't kinda, know how I missed that yeah I don't know either it's kind of messed up I'll send it to you I'll send your husband's take <laughs> I and by the way I watch the show so I'm a little bit uh, I don't know maybe I just don't watch Alex a lot well it's been it's been eight months now right Matt I think we've yeah. been doing this for a while Matt's sick of my shit we've been doing this for a while <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that Alex was my first in studio guest you were my first guest okay. period and then Alex was my first video okay. in okay. studio guest so you got, I, I, I've got great, uh, I'm using the hell out of the Venman family. I admit it freely. <laughs> you well, know? I mean, we have been friends since 2020. You yep. were the first like restaurant. We went to a restaurant and yeah. met you and Alex was like, where are we going? What are we doing? I was like, oh, we're going to Richmond. This guy that I met on Twitter, he was like, okay, Rachel, super normal, isn't that? But it was, and you have been a true friend, a true friend to us. And you and I talk very often, but we love you. And I, I'm very proud of you for doing the show, but I also think it's making a difference because as we can see with CNN, um, you know, and just cable news in general, it's a big commitment to like watch a show on cable news and um, having something that's more accessible, that's kind of anytime and being able to get the facts though, because I don't really want to know both sides. If one side is crazy, I'm not interested (laughs) in hearing crazy, but I am interested And just like on my podcast, I'm interested in having a conversation about how we can make things better and how we can have conversations with other people in order to make things better. And that is something that you can only get if you have a rational source. And that's why I think, you know, these, the Midas network and others, um, all of it is gaining in popularity and the, landscape is shifting in that way and because people really do know where they they could watch a show for an hour or two but are they really going to learn something that's going to help them have a conversation with their neighbor and maybe you know a a conversation that might change their mind and and present a side of that that they haven't seen that's really what we need and in order to be able to do that with confidence we need to have trusted sources yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It's so kind. And my feelings are mutual. You and your husband have been dear, dear friends to me and supportive. Hey, when I call you with crazy ideas, like, hey, let's do an ad for the Lincoln Project. <laughs> you know, and, Why not? And, and to tell that story before I let our viewers go is I, I said, let's and do an ad. And who was a star? Who was a star friend? Uh, you were. I wrote it for you. I'm, I, the story has to be set straight. <laughs> so I, for those who don't know, and I'll, I'll post it on my Substack. Um, and and I we did an ad and I, I pitched the idea. I was, at, I was in Utah and I pitched the idea to Rick Wilson. He's like, I love it. Let's do it. And I, and I, and I called you first and you're like yeah we're doing it i says alex and she goes i'll make them don't worry about it. just 
<laughs> so I went to I went to I went to Wilson. I said, "Hey, I got the Vimmins are gonna do an ad." He's like, "Okay, write it." I said, "I've never written an ad, but okay, I'll write it." And I wrote it for you because one, two reasons, and and one was, you know, we all saw Alex at that point on TV. We knew Alex in a certain sense. We didn't know you. We didn't know what you had gone through as a family, what your family had gone through. Two, I know your husband well enough to know he's a complete fucking stiff. So <laughs> you know, I mean, I love him with all my heart, but he's a stiff, and uh, and, and so I wrote the whole thing, and then Wilson and the, and the director all gave and rewrote it on the spot. Then uh, my son's texting me from your house saying, oh my God, they're rewriting the script. <laughs> but man, what a lovely ad. I, I'll, I'll post that because people need to see it. It was just, uh, it was very, but again, but, it was very brave of you though. I mean, that was when your first time you came out, I think. Well, yeah. You really took a stand and that was, that was a courageous act and in my opinion. Um, I will say just quick in Alex's defense, one time um, our two nieces were talking, they were like three and four at the time, uh-huh. and they had a discussion, I overheard them, about whether Uncle Alex was a big kid or an adult. So he is incredibly fun in real life, That's but it. not behind a camera. So I agree. it's like something happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, I but think that is the thing. Wholeheartedly. I'm going to see my nieces soon and Alex is coming and I had a conversation with him because <laughs> yesterday and they both started crying like legitimate tears. So I am not the fun one. But he is. He is. That's so exactly when I say it. I was a star. I just say because I could like hit my lines. That's it. That's, that's it. You hit your lines. But, you yes. know, I, I tell the story often. The Lincoln Project ad was the first thing I did. And you and I talked about this. Um, I called you. I still remember where I was driving in my car because I found out that Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor of The Atlantic, we're doing a lot of free press for The Atlantic in this episode. Yeah, I know. Um, the Atlantic, um, he wrote the Suckers and Losers article hmm. um, in which he said that President Trump called people the mil- who serve in the military suckers and losers. Yep. And I found out that his family had to move out of their house because of death threats they were receiving. And I was like, that is it. Enough is enough. Alex had retired. I was like, I'm speaking out. We are normal people. There's nothing we're just normal people. And this is happening to us. And Jeffrey Goldberg and his family are normal people. And this is what happens in authoritarian countries is normal people are attacked. And we have to tell the story. We have to say this is not OK. And this is who they are. And that's why I'm sorry, I'm going really long. But that is one thing about the um, the Chris Lick story that was in the Atlantic, um, his press PR executive, which uh, I don't know about that, because I thought it was like one of the most damning lines in the um, article is he said, well, what Chris is trying to say is if everything that Trump said was an 11, like when he was insulting women and that was an 11, then what is it whenever he when we cover it the same way, whenever he's actually attacking democracy? I'm like, I mean, then it's a 15 or it's a 20. But you cover all of that because these people who are voting for him, they need to see who he is all the time. And the people who are fighting against it, they need to see what they're fighting against all the time. You cover it all. And that that's it. So you have to talk about all of it. And I think us standing up and talking about our experience was and is important because I know what it's like to live in an authoritarian country. I lived in Russia for three years and Alex served at the embassy there. And this is a place where my neighbors, my friend, not my neighbors, but my friends, I I worked um, and they didn't feel comfortable talking about things inside buildings when cell phones were around because they understood the reality of the country where they lived. And If that's what you want to live in, then vote for Donald Trump. If you don't, then you need to fight like hell to make sure that our country never becomes that because it can easily. I love it. I'm, I'm going to end you there because that's perfect. <laughs> what a great place. To that's exactly it. And that is the battle we're up against. This is real. It's not. We had Ruth ben on the show. Here's her show, her book. Yeah, Strong uh, Man. Her book is the, so good. They're all there. If you, you should fall. Mm-hmm. By the way, I recommend her her Substack, Lucid on Substack. It's real. It, the, the sign it is. is there. And the only, if you ignore them, we will suffer the consequences. It's so, hard to read, but it's really good. It is. It's <laughs> painful to read. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for coming thank back you, on the show. Fred. It's always a pleasure seeing you. Good excuse. to. I, I joke all the time that the only reason I had the podcast is to talk to cool people. <laughs> friends and, and here you are so thanks so much i appreciate your time and uh thanks for coming on midas touch oh but i'm gonna give you a last note about the midas touch network you'll love when, when this gets posted you can read the comments rachel you can actually read the comments on the video because 
it's a wonderful community of caring Great. people. Great. I look who, forward to it. I, I literally watch my show when it comes on. I'm there live when it comes on. It, it airs at 11 o'clock Eastern on Friday nights. And I literally watch the comments rolling Aww. in. And it's uh, it's gratifying, especially after what you and I have been through, to, to actually be in a community mm-hmm. that is is supportive and kind. And most I get shit It for really does mean fast. a lot to us. Um, I talk too fast. I get that a lot. But yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. I mean. You know. Yeah, and my laugh. Too. It's all good. But we got it. <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. It was good seeing you. Thanks for joining the Thank show. And, and stay out of trouble, sister. I'll try. Man, what a great conversation. And what a great place to finish talking about the real danger of authoritarianism and fascism. Uh, um, I will, I'm going to pull this out. This is this book is Strongman. Former guest, Ruth ben uh, who is just a fascinating human being. She has a sub stack you should follow called Lucid. Um, we should post that episode again sometime, Matt. It was a great conversation. Um, you know, I have to laugh, though. Um, this past week was uh, D-Day, the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, and it kind of goes what we're dealing with. Um, Lauren Boebert, being Lauren Boebert, posted a picture of herself kneeling, here's the picture, we'll put the picture on screen, uh, kneeling before a grave, I believe at Arlington, placing a flag and how we must remember those who served on D-Day and and, and, their, and their, their glory, all these things. Classic Bobert performative patriotism. What I love about the veteran community is someone actually, you could see the number of the marker. And so someone on Twitter actually looked up that actual gravestone and discovered it's actually a World War One veteran. <laughs> You know, the whole thing was just more made up fake patriotism that we see all the time. They're happy to use us as a you know, veterans. When I say they're happy to use veterans as a, you know, as a foil against Biden, happy to use us as a prop when they want to get patriotism points. But in the end, it's all fake. It wasn't even a World War II veteran. She was putting a flag in front of it, but it was a great angle and her makeup looked great. And that's really all that matters. That's what we're up against. You know what? Authoritarians do that too. Well, I am so glad you found our show. I hope you're listening on your favorite podcast platform as we're going to summer and you travel. Take the show with you. You can find us on Apple and Spotify and Google and Amazon. Uh, our algorithm works a very simple way. If you leave a nice review, a five-star review, or you say something nice, or you comment or you share, that helps more people see this show and have these discussions. As I mentioned, we're on the Myas Touch Network. We premiere Friday nights at 11. Thank you to our sponsors for the episode, our friends at Fume, uh, which is really just a wonderful device. It's healthy. Uh, I... I've used mine. It is a it is a great uh, partner for us. And of course, our partners of Vi Media. Vi Media is a digital marketing agency. They own my studio right here at, Digi- at Hefco Studios. Um, they are a wonderful partner for you and all your digital marketing needs. They are a national company based right here in St. Louis, St. Louis Missouri. All your digital marketing, all your help getting your word out. That's V-I-E dot media, Vi Media. You can't miss them. Uh, you know, and, uh, and with all that, you can find me as always on Twitter at FP Wellman. My Instagram is FP Wellman Official. Uh, the show is on democracy pod on twitter and well on and on and on you can find it all of course please follow the Myas touch network with all of their channels on twitter and instagram and everywhere else for the shorts of course their youtube channel we are here every week i have a great another another great guest next week i think you're going to find very interesting as always thank you thank you for bringing the fight by our side we can't do this without you and thank you to this wonderful community and i can't wait to see you next week